you want to turn in your Bibles to Zechariah, the fourth chapter, we continue looking at the ten night visions of Zechariah. And we're going to cover the, the final five tonight. We've looked at five already. And I, I want to say I just appreciate your prayers and appreciate you hanging in here with me on some of this. I know some of it gets a little off into the weeds sometimes just because of the context and what's going on. But I'll just say this. Can you imagine how the people felt whenever Zacharias came out telling them these things? I mean, it was a wonder. It was a spectacle. So y'all may think just talking about it, you know, 2,500 years later is a spectacle. <laughs> but we want to look at Zechariah 4, and the title of the message is The Branch Beats Babylon. The Branch Beats Babylon. I'm going to mention these five final visions in this one night. And if you remember the analogy to the Charles Dickens Christmas Carol, you know, as the ghosts came to Scrooge throughout the night, we've had one series of visions from this angel. And if you notice in verse 1 of chapter 4, and the angel that talked with me came again. You see that? And waked me. So he had this first round of visions, and then he goes back to sleep. And then this angel comes, and he says, as a man is wakened out of sleep, and says these other things to him. So some period of time. This was a long night for Zechariah. I guess we could agree with that. And notice what it says. We, we'll, look, we'll mention the first one, and then we'll make our comments. The angel said unto me, What seest thou? And I said, I have looked. And behold, a candlestick, all of gold, with a bowl upon the top of it, and his seven lamps thereon, and seven pipes to the seven lamps which are upon the top thereof, and two olive trees by it, one upon the right side of the bowl, and the other upon the left side thereof. So I answered and spake to the angel and said, What are these, my Lord? He didn't know any more about it than you or I do reading that. Then the angel that talked with me answered and said unto me, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. And then he goes on and he begins to tell him about these, these visions, okay? The first one here, and I'm going to give you a summary of these five. When I read this, this is, you know, you ever play that game, you know, where, you know, what's your first impression, you know, when I say something? Okay, so when I read these five visions, this is the first one. These are my mental impressions, okay? And you're going to laugh at some of them because I know I'm crazy. The first one is pretty simple. A candelabra and two witness trees. He talked about the menorah, the candelabra, he sees a candle, and then there's two trees there. That's what comes to my mind. A candelabra and two witness trees. The second vision that he has makes me think of the Goodyear blimp. Okay? The next one makes me think of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. The next one makes me think of the horseman ride again. And then the last one's pretty simple. The high priest king, which is whose name is the branch. That's what... That's what comes to my mind when I read through these, okay? So we're going to make comments on all of them and hopefully make some relation to that and, and even today of what we deal with today. So the first one is the golden lampstand or the candelabra. That's what it is. And the, the Jews refer to this as the menorah, which was the candle that was lit in the temple. So it's a menorah in the Jewish terminology. It would be a candelabra to us where somebody carries a you know, a, a candlestick that has a lot of different places to put a candle on it. it. Makes me think of when I was a candle lighter in a, a wedding when I was very, very young. I was so excited to be that lamp lighter. <laughs> so that's what he sees. And you say, well, we don't have a clue what this is. Well, he never fully details every little detail about what it is, but he does tell you in general what it is. 
Zechariah said, what is this? And in verse 6, he says, this is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel. Remember who Zerubbabel was? He was the political leader. He was the one that was in the line of the king coming down from David. Okay, Joshua, remember, was the high priest at this time. So this is the word, whatever this is. He said, well, we can't fully understand what all it is. I agree, but whatever it is, it is to be an encouraging message to Zerubbabel, who was the political leader of those guys. If you remember the chapter before, was an encouraging message to Joshua, the high priest, where it says he was purified. So this is an encouraging message. And I've preached from this chapter several times. It's encouraging because he says basically, tell Zerubbabel that he's going to be successful. You know, the, the mountain that he's dealing with is going to be flattened. It's going to, be, it's going to become a plain. It's going to be not a plain that flies, but a flat plain, like a plateau. He says, this is the word of the Lord of Zerubbabel, saying, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Who art thou, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying, Grace, grace unto it. So he's telling Zerubbabel, you're going to complete this job. It's going to be successful. Now, this, all of these visions are set in contrast to Babylon, okay, which is where they came from, by the way. And that's the same thing for us today. Everything that you deal with in the kingdom of God, in the church of God, in the visible kingdom, everything that you deal with is in contrast to the city of man, which is depicted as Babylon. You know the song we sing, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, is fallen. That is the city of man. That is what humanists put forth. It is the best of man represents is the city of man. And it's represented in Babylon. And at the same time, you've got the city of God. And here is the Lord giving these visions as confirmation that the city of God is going to win out in the end. It may wax and wane from time to time, but it's going to win out. So the two, there's two trees here. And if you could get the mental image and read it and... I encourage you, if you're sometimes getting lost in some of this we're looking at, it'd be a great idea to read it before we preach about it and then even read it afterwards. The mental picture that's given here, what Zachariah sees is this candelabra with these lights on it. And the candelabra, it's got oil in the lamp. It says that. And the oil is coming from these two trees, if you read it carefully. And it makes me think of, you ever, you ever tapped sap, you know, from a tree? You know, put a tap into a certain types of tree and get syrup out of it, get the, the you know, rosin or syrup or whatever that comes out of it. That's the image that's given here. It's like there's a line coming from these two trees feeding into this lamp. It begs the question, what is that? The two trees, the two olive trees that are mentioned here, the two witnesses of God are also mentioned in the book of Revelation. It's the, almost the exact language. Now, there's different speculation about what they are. I'm just going to tell you what I think they are. And what I think they are is what David Crawford thinks they are. So if you've got a problem with this, you need to go talk to David Crawford about it. I don't think they're what Charles Hagee says that they are. You know, the end timers and all of this speculation and gigantic maps and all this type of stuff. You know, the left behinders. You know, we, I think what, it's what David Crawford thinks it is. And I think I'm on good ground. But Brother David, if you want to listen to the message that he preached about from Revelation about those two witnesses, it's very good messages. This is what Brother David says. And I... I fully support this and believe it. The number two in the, in the Word of God represents witnesses. Okay, And it, it speaks of these two trees being witnesses. 
You know, he says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Those court cases were to be held before in the Mosaic law with two or three witnesses. So Brother David put forth, and I believe it, that the two witnesses are the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel, the church and the gospel. And if you read in the book of Revelation where those, it seems like those two witnesses are killed, you have to go read that for yourself. You know, the world rejoices whenever the church and the gospel is not an impact, not a factor. Because the world doesn't want it. The wicked of the world and the world in general and humanity, the city of Babylon, the city of man, does not, want to, does not care anything and does not want to be told this is right and this is wrong. So I believe the two witnesses are the church and the gospel. Now in the Old Testament, it would just simply be you know, the visible nation of Israel. And by the way, remember, it's been gone for 70 years. The world rejoiced, remember? You know, it says that the riders went out through the world and the, the Lord was not happy because everybody was so glad that God's nation had disappeared and there was no more law and there was no more temple. And that's the way it is today when it comes to the humanism of the world. It cares nothing for the church or for the gospel. Let us not fall into that trap to where we care nothing for the church or the gospel. But child of God... You and me, we both could fall into that trap of where we don't care about the church or the gospel anymore. And that is a sign, an indication that humanistic thought, the city of Babylon has taken over someone's mind. When you don't care about the witness of God anymore. And the Lord says, my witness is feeding the light of this candelabra, of this menorah. The church today and the gospel feeds the light of God. You want to know where the light, you want to know where the brightest light in the world is today? It is in the church of God, even though it might be dim at times, it is the brightest light that you can find. That's, God, that's the way God designed it. And so he's telling Zerubbabel, all of this is going on over here in Babylon and they're building the hanging gardens of Nebuchadnezzar or actually they were probably just maintaining those at this time. But all of this stuff is going on in Babylon. Don't get caught up in that because the real place to be, the true place to be is in the church of God, listening to the gospel of God and living it out in your life. That's what he's saying there. So you see the next vision in chapter 5 he says I turned and lifted my eyes up and I looked and I beheld a flying roll guys this is not a roll that's in the family of the biscuit okay (laughs) this is not bread it's not a bread roll okay it's a scroll okay and it makes me think of it says it's a flying roll you remember I said this one gives me the mental image of the Goodyear blimp y'all been to a, a football game everybody's looking for the Goodyear blimp and maybe you've been to the beach and been out on the beach and an airplane comes flying by and he's got a flying roll behind, pulling behind him, telling you, go eat at Bubba's, you know, <laughs> go eat here. That's what I get in my mind. This is a flying roll. If you figure the description here, it's about 30 feet by 15 feet. It'd be like 30 feet long by 15 feet tall. And I don't know what's pulling it. I mean, I, obviously the Spirit of God is putting it in the air. It's a vision, remember. But it's like the Goodyear blimp or a, a biplane, you know, pulling some kind of a sign. And it's not very nice. It's not saying go eat at Bubba's. <laughs> it's saying basically everybody that lies and steals is going to be judged. I call this the Babylon blimp, okay? Because he's saying if you lie and you steal and you deceive, 
It's, it says it's going to wind up burning your house down. That's what it says if you look at verse 4. He says, I will bring it forth, saith the Lord. This is a curse. It's a curse upon a house when you lie and you steal and you deceive. He says in verse 4, I will bring it forth, saith the Lord. It shall enter into the house of the thief, into the house of him that sweareth falsely by, by, by name. And it shall remain in the midst of his house and shall consume it with the timber thereof and the stones thereof. It will burn down your house. There's no better way to destroy your house than to lie, cheat, and steal. Okay? That's, that's what they were doing in Babylon. Remember where they are. They're back in Jerusalem, and the Lord is saying, I'm not going to have it. It doesn't mean that everybody was going to be perfect and they were not going to have any problems. But the Lord is making his point. He's got this big banner flying across the sky saying, all liars and all thieves and all cheaters are going to be judged. You're going to burn your house down. See? This is a curse. He says that. It's a curse. It's a lot of strange things that Zechariah is seeing. Now, you think that's strange. What do you see? Chitty, chitty, bang, bang. Okay, in verse 5, it says, The angel talked with me and said, Now lift up your eyes again and look. And I said, Zechariah said, What is it? And he said, Listen to this now. This is an ephah, which is a measuring, a dry measure, for the largest dry measure in Israel. It's an ephah. It's a basket. Okay, it's a basket. Uh, this is an ephah that goeth forth. And he said, Moreover, this is their resemblance throughout all the earth. And behold, there was lifted up a talent of lead. Talent is the largest weight measure. For them, a talent of lead. And this is a woman that sitteth in the midst of the ephod, in the midst of the basket. And he said, this is wickedness. And he cast it into the midst of the ephod, cast the weight of the lead, put the mouth, you know, the top on the basket with this talent of lead. And then I lifted up my eyes and look, there came two women and the wind was in their wings. They had wings like the wings of a stork and they lifted up the ephod between the earth and the heaven. So can you picture these flying stork women are lifting up this basket with this woman sitting in it with a lead top on it, and they're flying away. Where? It says to the land of Shinar. You want to do a little research on Shinar? That's where Babylon was. It's in the land of Shinar. I mean, that made me think of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, where the car flies. <laughs> I thought, you know, really? Can you really get that car to fly? But it mesmerized my mind as a child. But here is this weird woman sitting in a basket with this lid on it and these storks are flying it away to Babylon. There's been a lot of speculation about what that is. Some think that that is referencing when Israel was carried away to Babylon 70, 80 years before. I have no idea what it means, but whatever it is, it's bad. <laughs> he says this is wickedness. Okay, I do have some thoughts about it and I want you to think about this, okay? Why is it a talent of lead? And, and I've, I've studied that and studied that, and I really don't have a real good answer, but I do have some thoughts. Why is it lead? You know, why not gold, silver? Why not some other type of metal, granite? You know, is a talent of lead. And lead at one point was considered to be a miracle metal until it was found out how dangerous and poisonous lead can be. You ever heard of lead poisoning? Today, lead is primarily used in batteries. But back in these days, and before and after, lead was considered to be a miracle metal, a useful metal. It was the pride of the Romans. And it was used in products from water pipes, because it's, it's, you can manipulate lead and bend it and move it pretty easily compared to other types of metal. It was used in water pipes and also makeup, you know, the, the gray makeup that some of the ladies used to put on was, was made out of lead. I mean, they're, they're putting poison on their face. You get that? 
and it's also used in some wine, until it was discovered how poisonous lead is. It's known to be toxic in high doses. It's found naturally in the earth. And guess what? This is interesting. Our word for plumbing comes from the Latin word for lead, which was plumbum. <laughs> as first, uh, as that was the first type of metal that was used in plumbing. You know, running, running water, bringing water into, fresh water into the Roman baths, and then piping out, you know, stale, stagnant wastewater from those places. They used lead, and it was poisonous. Interesting, huh? So it's interesting to me that he sees a talent of lead, which is poisonous. And what I get out of that is this. Babylon will poison you before you even know it. That's what I get out of it. Babylon is something that can come into your house, into your home, into your life. And you, it's, it's innocuous. It's not anything seemingly dangerous or bad. And the next thing you know, it's poisoned you. Okay, I'll throw in my little tribute to Elder A.J. Coleman, who prophesied that there would be, in the 1800s, that there would be cars driving and so forth, and people flying through the air uh, one day in planes. Y'all didn't know that, did you? He was a primitive Baptist preacher from Pickens County. Helped establish Zion Church. They said he was crazy. So you think about all of the use of batteries today. What's this thing right here running on? If I let this thing from Babylon take over my life it slowly poisons me are y'all with me that's just my little two bits thrown in there <laughs> but whatever this is it's weird you know you see the flying car and chitty chitty bang bang it just doesn't make any sense that's weird it can't naturally happen so Zechariah sees this and it's weird there's a woman sitting in a dry measure basket she doesn't belong there. And there's a talon of lead over the top of it that he closes down. And then there's two storks flying it away. And he says, this is wickedness. Now, this, this is what that tells me. I don't know exactly what that is, but it is bizarre. So when you see things that are bizarre and out of the norm, things like gender confusion, things like same-sex marriage, you know, it says in the book of Daniel that at the end days that they would seek to change times and laws. You know, things that have been just a no-brainer for thousands of years. And the next thing you know, what's that woman doing in a basket flying between two birds? <laughs> it's odd. It's weird. Are y'all with me? And you see, if you're not careful, things like that, like as it has done to our entire culture, the world, it will creep up on you and poison you like lead. It looks like it's very helpful. It looks like it's a miracle metal. But the next thing you know, you've been poisoned. We need to be very cautious as children of God in what we are consenting to or what we are, what we are warmed up to. Very cautious. Makes you want to examine your friends. Makes you want to examine your associations. Makes you want to examine who or you might marry. Makes you want to examine... What you watch on TV? Listen, I make no bones about it. Anybody that watches a Babylonian television show that includes sodomy as a part of it is consenting to it. Okay? Is that plain enough? People say, well, I wouldn't have anything to do with that. But they'll watch it and not resist it. If you watch it and you don't turn it off, you are consenting to it. You say, well, nobody sees that. God sees that. 
I'm just telling you, that's where we are. Because it is that, that strange, bizarre woman in the basket has taken over the world. Okay? It is that time where we just say, listen, there's nothing that's on that contains that in it that is worth watching. Okay? And this is a factor for anybody. This is, this is a factor for any person that is alive that walks around today. That's just one example now. You think you say, well, if that's the case, Brother Tim, what about other things that I encounter? <laughs> Remember what the Apostle Paul said, if you want to get away from sin, you're going to have to get out of this world. But we need to have discernment and we need to have judgment so that we can say, I don't want to consent to this. You know, David said, I will walk in a wise way even within my house. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I've had to go back time and time again and judge myself over wicked things that I may be setting before my eyes. Things that when I was young, I thought, well, this doesn't really matter because it's not really affecting me. And as I get more sensitive to my sin and to the sin that's around me, I think, oh my goodness, <laughs> I wish I had never put this in front of my eyes. I've told you all my story about used to, used to watch horror movies. <laughs> I've, yeah, maybe y'all hadn't heard that one in a while. But I grew up watching horror movies. Sorry, Mom, son, you didn't even know I watched I love those horror movies. You know, if they jumped out at you and, and made you jump, the better. You know, regardless of how it kept me awake at night and thinking, whoa, that was terrifying. <laughs> you know, I'd watch those horror movies. And then I felt convicted about it after the Lord got a hold of me in my 20s. And I was like, yeah, I just need to get away from this stuff. I need to let this go. It's just not healthy. You know, it's, it's blood and gore and scary. And it's even worse today. It's, it's more blood, more gore, more scary because that's the human, that's the way... The human nature goes. And so I got away from it for 10 years. Didn't watch a single horror movie. And then I heard about this movie called The Ring. And I thought, hmm, that sounds interesting. You know, I think I'll watch that. Some of you are going, yeah, I've seen it. And so I watched this movie called The Ring. And I hadn't watched anything for 10 years. I have never, I was more terrified watching that as a 39-year-old or 38-year-old than I was when I was 12 years old watching HBO at my friend's house. You know, hiding behind the plants in in my friend's house. I was so scared. I was terrified when I watched that. I thought, what's wrong with me? Am I having a panic attack? You know, I said, well, maybe I've had a bunch through the years. I just didn't realize it. And I thought, "You you know what's happened is I have desensitized myself. You understand? I desensitized myself to that which I got used to watching over and over and over. And then, then I'm very sensitive to it again. And all of a sudden, I'm scared. I feel like I'm having a panic attack. And guess what? Once again, I X'd off the horror movies. <laughs> That's it for me. I'm done. I don't have to watch another one as long as I live. You know, living life. Hey, listen. Living life is scary enough, right? Amen? <laughs> Just living life is scary enough. But you see, that's how that lead, that miracle metal, it'll poison you before you even know it. Are y'all with me? So, you see something strange, you see something bizarre, you see something out of the ordinary, and you think, huh, that just doesn't fit. You remember this verse of Scripture right here. The Lord looks at that the same way. As a matter of fact, in the book of Jeremiah, the Lord said, there's things that the people did that I, ne- that I never even thought of. It never came into my mind. You see, well, I thought God knew everything. You're just going to have to have that discussion with Him one day. Because the character of God is so holy and so pure that He said, men have done things that never even came into my mind to do. That's amazing, isn't it? 
So God looks upon this weirdness, this strangeness. And you know, it made me think of that old song, People Are Strange. I always liked that song. You know, and I used to think about that towards other people. Then I realized how strange I was. You know, we're all strange to some degree, but we are really living in strange times. Weird times, weird things going on. Strange visions he sees. And he doesn't fully know what it means, but he knows that it's bad because he says it's wickedness. And you know where it goes? You know where it comes from and you know where it goes? Babylon, the city of man. Strange and weird things are going to come out of Babylon. So as confused as he probably was after the end of that vision, chapter 6 comes along and he sees those chariots again. The, the horsemen. You remember at the beginning when we began to look at this, it says he looked and he saw among the myrtle trees there was a man sitting on a horse. He said, well, who are these guys? What are they doing? And they had come from riding throughout the earth. I believe the man among the myrtle trees sitting on the horse, I believe it was Jesus. And they had ridden through the whole earth and they were upset because the earth was so glad. The people of the world were so glad that there was no more temple worship. There was no more kingdom of God going on. It's all over with. They were just having a big party. And so this is a reiteration here, I believe, in, in chapter 6 of those chariots, uh, going, uh, of those horses going about and looking. They ride again and they look and they see. It's very little said about that. But what it tells me is, The Lord does not stop going to and fro in the earth, seeking His people, seeking His kingdom, seeing how things are going. The Lord does not stop. He sees. He sees everything. And the last vision is in chapter 6. If you look down in verse 11, and this is sort of the crowning vision, if you will. He says in verse 11 of chapter 6, Then take silver and gold, and make crowns and set them upon the head of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest. Remember Joshua, this is the same high priest that he cleansed over in chapter 3, I believe it is. Well, here he says, set a crown on Joshua. Now, this is very unusual. If you know anything about the history of the Jewish people, you know, you had a line where the kings came from, and then you had another line where the priests came from. Y'all remember that? Anybody remember where the priests come from? Levi. See? So you got the priest and the high priest comes from Levi. And then you got the kings who come from Judah. But wait a minute. Here we have Joshua the high priest being crowned with a kingly crown. Very strange. Don't you know that when Zechariah saw this, he was like, wait, wait a minute now. This isn't normal. So what is this all about? He says, speak unto him, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold the man whose name is the capital B-R-A-N-C-H, the branch, and he shall grow up out of his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Even he shall build the temple of the Lord, and he shall bear the glory, and shall sit and rule upon his throne, and he shall be a priest upon his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. Look at verse 15, and they that are far off shall come and build in the temple of the Lord, and you shall know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me unto you, and this shall come to pass if you will diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. And thus ends the night visions in one night of Zechariah. You notice where it started out. The man among the myrtle trees was looking throughout the whole world. Is there anybody concerned about my kingdom? And it ends with this crowning point where he crowns the high priest. 
with a crown and he says, this is looking to something coming down the road. My son, who is the king priest, the priest king. Y'all remember a fellow back over in the book of Genesis whenever Lot was taken captive and Abraham went out and he took Lot back. He went and rescued his, his nephew. And whenever it says that he came back from the slaughter of those five kings, those incredible cities of the world, nations of the world that could not stand against God's kingdom, which was found in Abraham at that point. It says when he returned, there was a man that met him. Y'all remember who that was? It was a fellow named Melchizedek. And he was a priest and a king. Okay? Some people think, well, that was some kind of foreshadowing of Jesus. I believe that that was, that was one of the pre-incarnation appearances of Jesus. I believe it was Jesus Christ. That Melchizedek was Jesus Christ. There's, there's an argument that could be made, well, maybe he wasn't or maybe he was. Regardless, this that we have here before us in Zechariah is the true Melchizedek. This is the king priest of God being crowned. This is Christ being crowned and completely defeating Babylon. The branch beats Babylon every time. Men can make the greatest thing you've ever seen and come up with the most amazing and genius little inventions that you've ever seen. Man can come up with all of these amazing things, but nothing will ever outdo the branch, the king, the, the king priest of God. Nothing will ever be as amazing as the high king. Nothing will ever be, can ever touch the sacrifice of the priest, Jesus Christ. And you see, that's what all this is leading up to. Part of me just wanted to jump to that very last thing when I started this. But the journey is, is an interesting journey. At least it is for me. I hope it is for you. You start out with the man among the myrtle trees and you go through all these amazing visions and strange visions that, that tell you how bad and wicked Babylon is. And it finishes up, as the Lord often does, He finishes up on that high note and He says, the last thing I'm going to show you is the crowning of my son, the super Melchizedek, the king priest of God. Sounds like something out of a Tolkien novel, doesn't it, Brother Luke? <laughs> and notice what it says in verse 13 as we close our thoughts here tonight. Even he shall build the temple of the Lord. What are they doing here? Y'all remember? What are they doing in Jerusalem? They're building back the temple of the Lord. And here the Lord says, my king priest will build the temple of the Lord in a greater way. Child of grace, you are the temple of the Lord. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians, that we are the temple of God and he has built you. It says, he shall bear the glory, he shall sit and rule upon his throne, and he shall be a priest upon his throne. Now watch this. And the council of peace shall be between them both. Who's he talking about? Both who? He says the peace will be between them both. You know who that is? It is between unholy sinners and a holy God. You see, the peace that was made by Jesus Christ, the high king priest of God, it brought peace to them both. It brought reconciliation to God, man being reconciled to God, and it brought God to man. You see that? The song that we sing, Our Daysman, where the Lord Jesus Christ is the mediator, the daysman. He was lifted up to die and pay for the sins of His people. He was not like the high priest who took the sacrifices out and He made the sacrifices and hoped that the Lord would accept what He did. He was the sacrifice. You see, the high priest was the sacrifice. He was the Lamb of God. He was all rolled into one and He was the daysman who in one single day was able to make peace between the unholy and the holy. And can you imagine how encouraging this was for them? 
So y'all picture this with me. This has been a long night for Zechariah. Think about it. It's taken us, I don't know, three or four different messages, you know, to try to at least talk a little bit about each of the visions. This happened to Zechariah in one night. You know, he goes back to sleep and the angel wakes him up again and he sees more visions. Five and then five, it looks like. Can y'all imagine him the next morning when he finally wakes up or gets up or came out of the vision God was giving him? He's probably scratching his head and going, what do I do with this? And he goes out and he starts telling everybody. He begins to preach it in the street. I had a vision last night. In the second year of all this building that was going on, in addition to the messages that Haggai has been preaching, he said, I had a vision last night. Well, what was your vision? It was 10 visions in one night. I don't know that anybody else in the Word of God, I hadn't checked this out. Maybe you need to check me out on it. I don't think anybody else got this in one night. 10 visions in one night. And he begins to go and tell them, I saw a man among the myrtle trees. You know, I saw Joshua, the high priest, who's been, who has been discouraged and thinking he's not worthy. I saw the Lord cleanse him as Satan stood there to accuse him. And I saw the Lord tell me uh, that, the, that Zerubbabel, I saw the message to Zerubbabel that his hands would build this temple. Can you imagine how encouraging that was? And I'm sure they didn't understand everything that he was telling. Well, what? give us details about the vision. Well, I can tell you that I saw a menorah. I saw a candelabra. And I saw this weird woman sitting in a basket being flown back to Babylon. Now, I don't think they understood everything, but I think they got the general gist. Babylon does not belong in the city of God. You see? The branch beats Babylon every time. So, I thought of a candelabra. I thought of a Goodyear blimp. I thought of that silly movie, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, with the flying car. I thought of the king's horseman riding again. And then I thought of the high king priest. What do you think of? What do you think of when you hear about how lead looks like a miracle metal, but it can poison you? Have you got some poison in your life that you need to address? We all do. What do you think about when you think about those two witnesses, the olive trees that fuel the light the church and the gospel. Are we focusing on that? Or are we like the people of this time who got distracted by politics? They got distracted by fear. They got distracted by making a living. And the next thing you know, the light was just getting dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. And here comes Zechariah telling them, rekindle your flame, rekindle your zeal. You're going to build this house. Get busy building the house. See? Zechariah had a great message. By the way, that's only about half of the book of Zechariah. There's some more great stuff in Zechariah. I don't know how much more of it that we'll take up in the future. I don't know how much more of it we'll look at. But it has encouraged me to examine myself very careful about things that are bizarre and strange, something that's out of the ordinary. You think about how much stuff that's out of the ordinary today that we just kind of ho-hum, just kind of go on with it. You know, I didn't have one of these things 20 years ago, and I pick on these things a lot, you know, but they're due to be picked on. Maybe this is a better way to put it. You're due to be picked on if this controls your life. You need to be picked on. You need to have it pointed out regularly. If it controls your life, if you can't live without it, see? Strange things that we see and that come to us and affect us. Several years ago, we were on a history trip up north. And 
one of the places that we have liked to go through the years is Gettysburg. And there's lots of different places to go in Gettysburg. It's amazing. This most recent time that we went, several years ago, we actually had a personal guided tour by a tour guide. So one of my favorite places at Gettysburg, and even more favorite after this particular trip, was the Devil's Den. Anybody ever been there to the Devil's Den? One of the most heated battles that's ever occurred in the history of the world occurred there at the Devil's Den where men were just rocky crags, uh, crag, excuse me, craggy rocks and rocky spots there where men would, you know, stick their head out and get their heads blown off and, you know, hand-to-hand combat. I mean, just a mess in the Devil's Den. And our tour guide pointed out, they said, now you see that tree up there on the hill? Big, huge. I don't remember what kind it was. I don't know if it was an oak or whatever. Some of you that were there probably remember. But there was this huge tree sitting up on the edge of the hill overlooking the devil's den. And they said, now, you know, that's a witness tree. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. But somebody says something like that, I'm like, hey, wait a minute now, let's talk. <laughs> what do you mean a witness tree? He said, that's a tree that was here when it happened. That tree's been here for what? Over 100 years, going on 200 years. I walked up to that tree and I just stood there and I just looked at that tree and I thought, if that tree could talk, if that tree could tell you what, what went down that day when so many good men on both sides were just slaughtered, I would love to talk to that tree. And I actually wrote a poem about it. It, it, it impacted me so much that I just, I just had to write something about it, the witness tree. And I stood there and I, looked, I would go back to that tree and I would just think, now, at this angle, the tree would have seen this, and at this angle, the tree would have seen that, and looking where the tree was, and I know it was much smaller at the time. It's a huge tree now. And I thought, boy, wouldn't it be neat to talk to a witness tree? And child of grace, there are still two witness trees in this world today. It is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's the gospel. It's the greatest witness that has ever come to this world. And it bears testimony to the high king priest who saved you from your sins and sits on the throne now and watches and waits for his return. Those two witness trees, you're a part of it. If you're a baptized member, you're a part of that witness tree. You are part of the ongoing dialogue, if you will, in history that takes place that stands against the city of Babylon, the city of man, and testifies to there's a better city. It's the city of God. There's many children of God in the world. Do you understand that? There's many children of God all over the world. But every child of God does not belong to the witness tree. You get that? That ought to humble you and make you thankful that God has favored you, that you can be a part of that battle that took place, that cosmic battle that took place 2,000 years ago when the Lord Jesus Christ, our high king priest, was hung between heaven and earth and he sacrificed himself and he was the perfect sacrifice. You're a part of that. You stand as a witness today and the gospel has continued to be proclaimed. And you know what? God assured us those witness trees are going to be here until he returns. If that doesn't impact us, I don't know what. As the old preachers used to say, you know, if that doesn't light your fire, then your wood's wet. That lights my fire. I wanted to talk to that witness tree so bad. 
but he can't talk to me. But these witness trees can, you see, and they still talk to me every day and they whisper to me about that battle. And guess what? The Lord won.